this day is today one of the most popular Arthur episodes ever because it feels like the blizzard outside. Ah, I see what you did there. Uh, yeah, we're having a little bit of inclement weather over on the east, the east side of Canada as we uh, as we uh, record this episode of Elwood City Limits. Viewers at home, uh, mark the blizzard mention off your uh, Elwood City Limits bingo card. Because, uh, yeah, it's it's there's lots of snow out there. I'm looking out in my new setup, Will. I have this, like, window. Usually, I, I before I was recording in, like, a, a room with no windows, basically. Um, and I can really see it coming down out there. So let's hope that we don't lose power mid-show. Uh, if, for instance, this episode uh, ends like The Sopranos or something, and you're all confused, that's why. is <laughs> because uh, the power infrastructure here in Nova Scotia... Um, I'll say it is wretched. So, uh, stay tuned. You you can live in suspense just like us listeners at home thinking the whole time. Oh my goodness, is the power gonna cut at any moment now? Uh, I'll, I'll I'll go a step above wretched and say famously unreliable. <laughs> so, but but you're not you're not far off. Um, yeah, that's that's a really good point. Is that in times like this. You can't exactly count on our local power affiliate conglomerate. So let's get into it. It's Elwood City Limits, the episodic Arthur podcast. Will Young here with Lucas Mancini. Uh, glad to have you back, Lucas. Uh, I also have some good. I have some good news. Um, this is. I, I get these emails every now and again to kind of see. Uh, this is this is how I become aware of like the iTunes. Or not, it's not iTunes anymore. The Apple Podcast reviews that you guys sometimes leave us, and this email sometimes also comes with uh, chart updates. So I'm happy to announce that Elwood City Limits is currently number 47, uh, the number 47 TV and film podcast in Jamaica. I don't want to uh, go into some sort of offensive accent. Uh, hmm, so I yes. will say just simply in my own voice, uh, big ups to all of those listeners in Jamaica. Um, I, I, you know, peace be unto you, our Jamaican listeners. I'm a big fan. I was drinking Red Stripe yesterday watching the Super Bowl, Will. So oh. um, much love to Jamaica. I will go as far as to say as, you know, dance hall music is one of the great gifts, the great earthly gifts that have been bestowed on this world. So Mm -hmm. thank you to the people of Jamaica, their beautiful culture, uh, the beautiful island. Um, Thank you for being such dutiful listeners of Elwood City Limits. Yes, thank you as thank you for me as well to our uh, J- apparent Jamaican listeners. Um, Lucas, I don't want to f- spend too much time on it because by the time the free feed hears this, it'll be old news. But did your guys win at the Super Bowl? So I don't really. I'll, I'll keep it a buck with you, Will. I know between the two of us, I'm like Mister Sports. Uh, but my yeah. least favorite team sport is football. I'm more of a basketball guy. Right. Um, That's true. Now I was, and so my guys did not win at the Super Bowl. I was rooting for the Eagles. Uh, mm, because I yes. own an Eagles t-shirt uh, that I wear sometimes and because they're more Northeastern. Uh, so, you know, kind of closer to us in the grand scheme of things. Um, but I really don't don't care that much. Um, Fair enough. It, it was all about the experience. Exactly. It's a, it's a matter of tradition. I, you simply have to watch it, um, you know, in case something crazy happens and I miss it. I got to have my takeout about Rihanna's newly announced pregnancy. Everybody needs to know what I think. So uh, that's why I watched it. Uh, Fair enough. I also have a friend who's a big Eagles fan. So that was the only allegiance I had going into this game. So too bad bad for him. But, uh, well, there you go. Rihanna, it looks Um, like she was performing on a Smash Brothers stage. Yes, that was the that was the common refrain I'd heard, it, it, even from my friend group, and I got a good look at it. It's pretty pretty good, you know. It's it's closer to Final Destination. Um, you know, I, I call me when Rihanna does the Super Bowl on Poke Floats. <laughs> okay. Now that's a halftime Woo! show. Um, <laughs> yeah. What so are we, whether what are you gonna, live, what are we going to see a yeah. Super Bowl halftime show from Master Hand? <laughs> Yeah, seriously, or just like, uh, oh, they should do like the bat, the batting challenge. That, yeah, and home see run which, contest, uh, home run contest. Yes, the home run contest. Oh, no, see save if, that for the World Series. 
See if Patrick Mahomes can break the targets. Mm-mm. Okay, this is this is good stuff, Will. <laughs> um, yes, if if you're listening from Jamaica or if you're listening from anywhere around the world, uh, be sure to send us in an email correspondence. ElwoodCityLimits at gmail.com. No emails this week. I just wanted to make sure that you all knew that. I do have a couple of corrections from a couple of our recent episodes on um, on a couple of facts we put out there. So, um, in the fir- in two episodes ago, when I, when we were talking about the switch to um, sixteen by nine for Arthur, I said that season sixteen is in sixteen by nine but not in America. Now, I had my facts kind of confused there. So, season 16, the season we're in right now, is broadcasting 16 by 9, or at least it was broadcasting 16 by 9 in every territory. What I was thinking of is that for whatever reason, seasons 12 to 15 was broadcasting 4 to 3 in in some regions. So, I had it a bit confused in my head. A lot of numbers in that one. Uh, From our previous episode, in which our guest Hannah was part of the show, we were talking about how they were playing a clone of what looked to be the game Flappy Bird. Uh, It was called Cranky Bees. This is in (laughs) the episode Muffy Takes the Wheel. But here's the thing, and this this, this was another thing that was pointed out by Peebs. So, the episode Muffy Takes the Wheel was released in 2012, and was probably worked on, if not in early 2012, then in 2011. Flappy Bird wasn't released until 2013. And if you watch, Lucas, if you watch the episode, the game they're playing, it is is like a dead ringer for Flappy Bird. So, you know, forget Simpsons predicted it. Arthur predicted it. Flappy Bird. Yeah, we got to run, not walk to social media and start posting. um, Did you know that Arthur predicted Flappy Bird? (laughs) Um, yeah, that, that really astounded me. I didn't even think to look that up because like, how do you, how do you come to Flappy Bird independent of the game? But there you go. They were there a whole year before. Uh, so a couple of corrections there. Um, thank you to everybody who pointed that out. And while we're saying thank you, we want to say thank you to our patrons, patreon.com slash Elwood City Limits. That's where you can get episodes of the show a week early. As well, you can get our monthly side series, including ECL Origins. And this month, we're returning to, for the kids, a PBS Kids podcast. We got a lot of great suggestions for shows that we should check out. And I've decided on one. And I will tell you at the end of this episode. In the meantime, we want to say thank you to patrons such as Vanessa, as well as Veronica Tram and Awesome Eddie Twenty One and Iman Salehian. We also want to say thank you to Ricardo A. Soto, Katie, Tyler Bazetsky, and Emma. Thank you to Jenny Cardenas, Katie P, Jared G, and to Chloe. And as well to Dear Miss Elizabeth, a.k.a. Z, and Maria Gisselquist. And that is everybody in the lineup. We can clear that row, and we'll be starting over with new thank yous on the next episode. That's patreon.com slash Limits. If you would like to support the show, have your name read on the show, and get our content early or at all if it's our side series. Lucas, we continue on in the first Flash season here. Not just this story, but this whole dang episode is all about DW. All DW, all the time. Um, some of our listeners may not be happy, uh, but you're going to have to wait and see to see if how we feel about a double dose of Doral Winifred. A, a D-double dose Ooh. on Elwood City Limits. And li- li- the first story is literally called All About DW. Um I don't know if you knew this. Arthur's kind of letting us in here on some lore here about when DW wants something, she'll do anything to get it. (laughs) Namely that in this cold open, she's practicing for the role of Red Riding Hood, which she's hoping to get in a school play. She's practicing with Grandma Thora. They're doing the classic story of the little girl who goes to her grandmother's house but finds that she's been eaten by a wolf. And in needing a woodsman character, she kind of forces Arthur in a directorial manner to be the woodsman. And she also uh, kind of breaks down a little bit when he isn't so into it. There's some there's some really good 
DW lines in this story. Mm. Like I, re- I really liked the delivery on to, you know, Arthur kind of comes in, he picks up a tennis racket and he's just like, what seems to be the problem? I'm the woodsman. And DW says, put some life into it. Yeah. She says, you don't play tennis. You chop down trees. Um, it, this is some great, uh, examples of when they write DW like wise beyond her years, but the irony is that she's being, her vocabulary and the way she's speaking is like an actual, someone giving criticism on acting, right? Put some life into yeah. it, like that kind of thing. Like she wants Arthur to use the method, but of course it's for this like silly little children's play. So it, yeah, good, good comedy in this opening bit. What's the name of that famous acting teacher? What's her name? Oh, I don't know. Is this the person who came up with the method? I thought it was a guy. No, I think the person... No, I, I forget who I'm thinking of. There's like a famous acting teacher woman. I, I don't remember her name. Anyway. Um, so yeah, that's the idea behind the story is that there's going to be a production of Red Riding Hood at DW's preschool. And DW expects that she's going to get it. <laughs> there's a real there's again a lot of good lines from DW here especially um when they're waiting to be assigned their parts so like the Tibbles are both assigned as like the the big bad wolf and his grandma uh Timmy gets assigned the big bad wolf and DW turns to him and says congratulations Timmy I look forward to working with you like it's very very professional minded <laughs> very very LinkedIn language from DW but she's not going to be Red Riding Hood that's going to be Emily DW is cast as tree number 2 I'm not even tree number one? Yeah, funniest joke of the episode, because she says, I'm not even tree number one. Uh, and the teacher says, that's Amanda. And we smash cut to Amanda, who plays cheer one, tree number one, um, who's the opposite of DW. She's just kind of clapping. Like, Amanda does not come off as the most, <laughs> like, dedicated no. to her uh, uh, practice as an actor. Because she's just kind of jumping up and down, clapping, and it's like, dang, that's who they got for tree number one. You don't even, you don't even meet that standard. There's a point similar to the one that you made a couple minutes ago that I'm going to revisit in the next story. But like, yeah, I know exactly what you mean. There's a great scene where DW is back at home. Um, she's playing, I think it's Go Fish with Grandma Thora and Arthur. And <laughs> Arthur said, Arthur asks her if she has any eights, and DW says, "No, I don't have any eights." You know what else I don't have? <laughs> Meaning the role of Red Riding Hood. There's even, we go from this to, did you catch the canted angle that they put here? The Dutch angle? DW stands up on her chair and she's yelling. Uh, she says, does this look any fun to you? And the angle is slanted because we are into, you know, it's a, it's a classic filmmaking trick of you use a Dutch angle to bring us into DW's warped perspective yes, her, on the world. Her psyche is is uh, she's demented because she's lost this role. It was a it was a really good choice. Like I liked that in terms of how this particular scene was directed. And again, DW was very funny. Um, so DW tries to kind of figure out what she can do at this point. She's talking to Nadine up in her room. Um, Nadine suggests that DW could be Emily's understudy, so she could be the person that plays Red Riding Hood if something happens to Emily. (laughs) DW has a line where she says, you never know, she did look pretty sweaty after freeze tag yesterday. Honestly, I'm on DW's side with this one. Like, you always need an understudy, especially for the lead role. That's true. And it's not like tree number two is a vital role. You could probably get anybody to fill that seat. So, really, this should have been already done, but... DW is kind of forcing herself yes. into the understudy role, like kind against of a, a, everybody's wishes. It's a black swan kind of situation here. Right. She's kind of like, well, I am the most talented aside from Emily, so I don't understand why you wouldn't want me to be the understudy. Um, thankfully, that's as far into black swan as they go. So, well, it gets a little surreal near the end of the story, but not in the way that black swan does. So DW is thinking of ways to kind of get Emily out of the role. Um, I use the word like she in, tries to intimidate her, but she's not like threatening her. She's more just like trying to um, convince her or fool her into losing the role. So like one of the, her initial idea with Nadine is that, that they could create a moat of alligators around her house with, so that she physically can't play the role, except in this idea, I mean, 
it's creating a moat with alligators. But in this fantasy, DW puts herself on the same side as Emily, so she's also gets trapped. And then they look over at Nadine, and Nadine just shrugs. <laughs> this sequence just reminded me that um, cart- this is one of those things that shows up in cartoons that I thought moats were going to play a much larger factor in my life. <laughs> Uh, like quicksand? Yeah, exactly. Except I don't think I've ever actually seen a real life moat ever. Um, I think I saw, I think I saw one when like I went to Spain and they have some castles over there and I saw what like what like what used to be a moat. But it's you're right. It's not it's not what you think. It's not like the moat around a castle in a Disney movie or something that's filled with like you know dangerous fish or in this case alligators. My life has not seen many moats. In its time, but there's, hey, I, I I hold out hope. I don't even know if there was a moat in that, in that Fisher Price castle, like mm. the one that all the rich kids had. Like, was there a moat in that one? Let's see, Fisher, with, with the Fisher, can, with the cannonball. Yeah, with the cannonball. And I love that you say all the rich kids had that. Will I had that <laughs> castle? Uh, That's true. <laughs> well, and like I, I I say that, but it's just like it's not to say that my family was poor, but it's just like it felt like a certain signifier of. If not wealth, then status to have that Fisher Price castle. I'm looking at pictures of the Great Adventures castle uh, on Reddit, and it does not seem to have a moat. It's got a big gate, man. Oh, they don't make them like they used to. This looks like a great toy. My goodness. Anyway, you, you know what actually was probably the rich kid toy of that kind of ilk was like the Lego pirate ship. Mm, I that, definitely that's didn't probably have that, yeah. No, yeah. I think I knew one kid who did, and they were definitely richer than my family. Um, DW also tries to um, convince Emily to check out a um, like a, an, a performance called Cat Arctica, which is, she keeps saying it's tap dancing kittens on ice, which is playing in Crown City at the same, apparently at the same time as this uh, school play in like the middle of the afternoon, which seems... Seems like poor advertising, but uh, Emily is not swayed by Cat Arctica. She also, I use the word intimidate because she kind of tries to spook her off of it. She gives her this scary paper bag mask uh, DW gives to Emily because in case she forgets her lines and gets embarrassed, she can put this bag on her head. And this is Emily is very offended at that. That's kind of like the last straw. That's the last one that the W yeah, tries. Uh, it's giving. Um, remember the "I'm not famous anymore" era of Shia LaBeouf. <laughs> That's what yes, this reminded me of. She's uh, she's Kip Savian, underrated over it. Mm, mm. That's that's what it should say. So DW, that's her kind of the last thing that she tries. Um, She's over at Grandma Thora's at one point. I will say we see uh, Killer a couple times in this episode, which I. You know what? If you had said that Killer never made it to the Flash show, I wouldn't be able to tell you different. I'd believe that, but good to see her all the same. So in the end, Emily loses her voice on before the performance. So DW gets the part. This is, I, I should say, we were at Grandma Thor's because DW is talking about what she wants to do to get this part. And the 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 the, the lesson with the the lesson in the DW episodes is always a bit more direct. Um, and Grandma Thora says, you know, it wouldn't be very fair if you were Red Riding Hood and Emily wanted your part. So do you think you're being fair? And so DW rethinks she's as Hideo Kojima would say, she is ashamed of her words and deeds. Yes. So uh, (laughs) so she feels bad about how she acted. She's going to apologize. But the next day, Emily has lost her voice. So DW gets the part which she doesn't feel great about. In fact, her guilt is such that she gets nervous when she's about to do the play and she forgets some of her lines. She has this dream the the night before the play where she's initially in the woods leading up to Red Riding Hood's house. And there's like the Tibbles faces are in the trees. Right. And that was and... actually in the um, the title card for this episode was this clip of the Tibbles face in the tree. Uh, and it's just a crazy looking image. <laughs> like out of context, the tree with like the big Tibble face. I was like. What the heck? <laughs> and uh, Emily is also the big bad wolf in this equation. She doesn't really do all that much, but she does have like the wolf ears and fangs and kind of like speaks in a more growly voice. DW goes into the house in the dream and it turns into a stage. Like it looks like a sitcom stage, but it's also in like an opera theater and everybody, every major character in the episode is like in the wings, like Miss Morgan is there, Grandma Thora, Arthur, Killer is there, and they're all kind of heckling her. And 
uh, Emily, the big bad wolf, gives DW the bag to put on her head. So DW, very, very nervous. Emily, even though she has a sore throat, it's a kind of like, it's a kind of nebulous lost my voice thing that happens in a lot of cartoons where it's like, no, no, no real explanation as to why it's not, it doesn't even seem to be due to illness. Like this, this, you know, Lucas, you speaking about moats. I thought that losing my voice was going to be more of a, a problem mm. when I was a kid. We've even had an episode way, way early on where DW loses her voice and she doesn't seem to be like sick all that much. Well, okay, she is sick, but like sometimes in a cartoon, it'll be like they lost their voice and it's not tied to an illness. It's just kind of happens. They just get laryngitis. Yeah, it's just running and the I was middle like, laryngitis. Yeah. And so Emily is actually still in the play. She takes DW's role as tree number two. And the whole time when like, Emily is there and like, you know, putting her hand on DW's shoulder or handing her things. I was like, don't touch me. Like you're sick with something. Mm. And it's again, I think it's where we are with COVID, you know, I very much don't want to very much don't want to get sick again. And Hey, once again, Halifax, uh, great incubator for COVID. It turns out. Um, and so I'm very much just like, how about like, don't touch me if you have lost your voice. There's a way to like, ha- lose your voice though, where it's not viral. Like I think laryngitis, like you could just like mess up your voice box. Like I lose my mm. voice. Listen, Will, I've been known to lose my voice a time or two after a sp- particularly passionate spot of karaoke. Uh, I, I might lose my <laughs> voice. Uh, I think if you like scream a lot or you do it the wrong way. Now, I'm not saying that's what's happening with the Emily's here. Yeah, it's true. They don't really explain what's going on with Emily. But I assumed if it was viral, she wouldn't even be at school, let alone playing tree number two and uh, touch it up on DW like that. I know. I would really, I would really hope so. Maybe she went to a hardcore show the night before yes, exactly. and just like totally threw her vocals. She was, she was, she went to go see Comeback Kid and she was participating in the gang vocals uh, during yeah. Wake the Dead or something like that. <laughs> so Emily is this tree. DW completely forgets her lines. She's so nervous, uh, but Emily helps her through it. She kind of whis- they it, it gets to the point where DW like trips over the set and they have to kind of reset everything. But Emily helps her through the performance and they manage to end off on a positive note where they are kind of on the same page again, uh, thanks to Emily's help. And now a word from us kids. Once again, the very much the classic flavor here of Word From Us Kids. We got a class of second graders who are working on their own play. And uh, it's always cool to see these kinds of projects. Different kids are working on different parts of the show. So there's like four groups. There's the actors, the writers, the set designers. Um, yeah, and there was a fourth one. I'm blanking on what it was. All I'll say about this is that the kids, Music maybe? I don't know. The kids very quickly. What was funny about this was I think the teachers knew what they were doing when they assigned each kid to their particular roles because the kids very quickly embody, like, even though they're, like, tiny little children, like, you can tell, oh, these actors are, like, the actor kids. Like, they're like, I'm an yes. actor, and, like, they're, they're very much, like, center of the tension, and it cuts to the writer's kids, and, like, one of them's, like, rubbing their temples like a grown-up writer's room. <laughs> like, you can see, uh-huh. like, they look like they've just been, like, s- smoking cigs and, like, pounding coffee, uh, and <laughs> Like you can see that like the scribbled paper they they've been doing rewrites rapidly and they're all like oh gosh we gotta like write this character really quickly because the costume people need to make the costume for the new character and like if they don't have enough time uh, it, I I thought this was funny how quickly putting these kids in these roles embodied like the stereotype of a of a writer's room so I got a big kick out of that. That's a good catch. I was really taken by the kids who were on the production side of things. They like creating the props and the sets and like a couple of these like props are really cool. Like there's a, the story that they're doing is about like something about a snowfall and there's like a wizard character who uh, drives a snow, a snowplow, which they like made out of cardboard. It's like this almost the size of the kid, but it is like the, the side of a truck and it looks cool. Like it's just, Really neat that they were able to make one this big. They also have this little contraption that they use to dump out the snow, which is just like, you know, ripped up pieces of paper. But it's like this kind of almost pulley system where it like dumps the snow on the kids. I thought it was really like kind of a genius for kids that age. 
Yeah, they give the snowplow driver a cardboard beard, and um, one of the kids explains, <laughs> well, well, of course we had to give him a beard, because otherwise it would look like a child was operating that snowplow. Um, and I, fair <laughs> enough. That's solid logic. We can't have, you know, children operating heavy machinery, I guess. So, um, yeah, no, I'm impressed. I was, uh, fruitfully impressed with this production. Good. I mean, it, yeah, it seemed like, a, seemed like a lot of fun. Good project. A lot of good projects in Word From Us Kids this season. All right. We're going to get into the second story, which is again about DW, uh, right after this. Supporting this podcast is how it keeps going, and it's very easy to do. So here's how you can do that. If you're listening to this show and want to get the full back catalog of Elwood City Limits and all of its sister shows and offshoots, you can listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, and even more services. You can also go to our YouTube page, youtube.com slash Limits, for the full back catalog. If we aren't on a service you use, please let us know. You can interact with us on social media. We're on Twitter, at ECL Podcast, Instagram, at at Elwood City Limits and twitch.tv slash Elwood City Limits pod for our occasional streams. We're also on Facebook and Tumblr. Feel free to reach out to us on social media or you can email us and your email might be right on the show. Elwood City Limits at gmail.com. Finally, for exclusive content, including entire side series like For the Kids, a PBS Kids podcast and ECL Origins, subscribe to us for as little as a dollar a month at patreon.com slash Elwood City Limits. That's all for now. Thanks a lot for listening. And now back to the show. Or if you're on the Patreon right now, it's called Blockheads, Ooh, and it that's, does. That's me trying to do a Roblox noise. Ooh, ooh, oof, oof. Yeah, you can do it better. Oof, oof. It's <laughs> 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 the only thing I know about Roblox, and it's all because of H Bomber guy. So, oof. Yeah, I, I can't do it. But uh, yeah, Blockheads. This one actually starts off with Arthur. Arthur talking about his dream house. Mm, so mm. Arthur's, Arthur's dream house. Yeah. I've been watching. Uh, there's been a YouTube series I've been watching about this guy, the scuffed realtor, who has been like uh, looking at people's house listings. And um, he's been, especially these like uh, McMansions, he's been roasting people's decor, saying that, you know, money can't buy taste. And a lot of people are like mm. just going into what makes good interior design and what makes a good hot property. So I was all excited to roast Arthur's dream house. Uh, what do you want to hear first, Will, the negative or the positive? Okay. Um, let me just let me just set up the the bones of the house and then yeah. I will I will let you do this. So in Arthur's dream house, the elements include he has a robotic butler whose name is Wilson. He sleeps in a hammock. He has a pool in the shape of a dog bone. And he also has access to the latest technology. So, Lucas, I'll let you decide in terms of where you want to start here in terms of positive or negative. Yeah, so let's start with the kitchen. Taking a look at the kitchen we have, it's kind of like a penthouse suite. Um, we have kind of a... Like floating kitchen island with the like the overhead thing for the the stove that all looks good. I like the cabinets look good. I like his dining mm. room set, very mid century modern. Um, I will say there's this like ugly overhead lighting throughout the house. This is probably my main negative. Is there's this like gross overhead light, and in the kitchen you really don't even need it because he's getting so much natural light from these massive windows. Uh, don't know what to say about the robot butler. It's just kind of weird. Also, looking through this uh, with a fine comb, I noticed crunch cereal. Uh, Arthur's still getting served crunch cereal here. The uh, dog bone pool. Uh, I don't know if you know Arthur is still in the Northeast. Like, is he in Elwood City in this in this giant penthouse? Because um, if that's the case, then I guess it makes sense to have the in indoor pool. I'm just not a I'm not a big indoor pool fan in general for like a personal residence. So. Um, it but, seems to be it's it seems to be like maybe somewhere in the sky. Hmm, it's in the sky pool, sky pool. I don't know. It is cool that it's a big dog bone though. That is that is a nice touch. Um, and yeah, that's pretty much it. He talks about having all the latest technology, uh, and then he gets a Skype call, a Zoom call from Buster from somewhere in another dimension. We we talked about this in an earlier in the last episode actually how Arthur is entering the era of like video calls like Skype and Zoom and that kind of stuff but this is different this is on like the actual TV and so Buster has his own dream house that is in outer space and he needs to he needs to teleport Arthur there Star Trek style to the Alpha Formaggi galaxy to uh, to any Italians listening to <laughs> or on the show 
But Lucas, you you kind of got your own PBS Cribs thing here. So why don't you take us through Buster's uh, Buster's dream? Yeah. Home. So it's called Alpha Farbaggi uh, for those who are not uh, familiar with the Italian language, uh, because it is a some sort of cheese dimension where everything is cheese. Yes. Um, and right off the bat, I, I found three problems with this. <laughs> Problem number one is that, um, okay, cheese goes bad, right? So especially if it's your house, I don't know if this is his insulation is made of cheese. Like the implication is that everything here is cheese. So yeah. that's going to stink. That's going to go bad really quickly. Ugh. You're going to get mold sickness. Uh, problem number two is that Buster is actively eating, like, in this <laughs> small clip, he eats, like, three big parts of his house yeah. already. He's, like, eating lampshades, he's eating the couch, and at this rate, he's not gonna have much house left even before it goes bad. That's right. I, I um, give it, like, a week. Buster has, like, no self-control. And three, and I think this is just a sign of getting older, this is not <laughs> a thought that would occur to a child, uh, I think that, uh... I'm worried about Buster's in, intestinal tract. I'm worried he's going to become horribly <laughs> constipated. You know, something like Elvis or something like because <laughs> all of this cheese is going to surely cause some blockage. Um, and I'm just because yeah. yeah, he's listing about the different types of cheeses that all the different um, the furniture is made out of, and he's taking big handfuls, like giant bitefuls of this cheese, and that's just not good. No matter how much of a young man you are, that's not good for you. I feel like that's true. I mean, it's probably all those different cheeses are messing with all his gut microbes or what have you. But I will, I will say, like you're not wrong. But um, you know. Better now than when he's older. Like cheese, cheese and dairy just kind of becomes a problem the older you get. So if it's gonna happen, like let it happen now. Well, his system is young and he could bounce back. This is actually not an Arthur Buster episode. It is another D.W. Emily episode that is also mainly taking place at the preschool. So this starts off with D.W. and Emily. There's no other toys that they can play with, so they are stuck playing with the blocks. Which I was like. I loved playing with blocks when I was a kid. I would love to get, quote-unquote, stuck with them. So uh, why they were poo-pooing it so much, I couldn't agree with. Different strokes for different folks. But they actually end up using their time with the blocks, making a quite impressive structure. And the the word that we're going to keep coming back to is it's not a palace, it's not a castle, it's a combination of both. It's a palasal. palasal. Yeah, they like, as you said, Will... They kind of learn the magic of the blocks as they use them. Like they're they're adverse to the idea counting down the minutes until snack time. I think DW is the one who's like, oh, I can't wait till snack time. It's funny. All we were talking earlier in the last episode about how DW is treating um, this children's school play with the utmost seriousness. What's funny throughout this episode is her treating playing with the blocks like she's on the job site. Yeah. Um, and it starts with, yeah, her counting down to stack time. But soon, uh, much like Will, much like you, Will, they learn the magic of the blocks. And they realize that the day flew by because they had so much fun making this structure. And they get praise from Arthur's mom, who is very impressed with what they've built so far. And they have all these plans for their dream palasal. In fact, DW has a, has a dream about it later that night. So she's thinking of, like, unicorn stables. Uh, a Mary Moo Cow mini golf course and a museum of all the dopey things Arthur has ever done, including statues of like him tripping paintings of him with weird faces. <laughs> it's it's a great it's a great attention to detail there. But I also yeah. want to uh, before we move on, I want to in the last episode and I'll talk a little bit more about this during my final thoughts. But I was kind of unimpressed with the visuals of one of the dream sequences in the last episode. Oh, yeah. And I was like, oh, is this is this what we have? Uh, for the Flash era, like, kind of the more imaginative dream sequence. Is that a bygone thing? And I was pleasantly surprised by the visuals in this dream sequence. Like, they really uh, made the most out of uh, drawing what the, the life-sized palasal would look like. And it's so colorful and vibrant. And so I will put this that feather in this episode's cap that uh, this dream sequence is uh, appropriately kind of... Um, it's fantastical in a way. Yeah, you're right. It really, it really does kind of stand out. It is appropriately uh, childlike in its kind of whimsical imagination of this whole thing. And so DW and Emily have this whole, like it's a, it's a constantly sprawling and evolving plan. Like they keep having to like 
make new things for like new characters and animals that show up uh, along the way. So it just keeps it's a it's a tale that grows in the telling, and eventually they become obsessed with making their palasal just right. Um, there's a couple of kind of instances where we see like how this kind of extends. So for example, um, the Tibbles offer to help, quote unquote, but they are really just breaking down the walls. So DW and Emily do their best to put a stop to this and they do so by offering them snacks as bribes to keep them away and eventually like hire them as the security guards of the Palasal. Um, yeah, she's already doing, you know, dirty union deals with the mob <laughs> as a, a developer of the Palasal. This is this is this is Arthur's take on season two of The Wire. It's just like, as, yeah, exactly. If the Palasal was near a pier and like the Tibbles were Greek, then uh, then we'd have it all. We'd have everything. Um, they do try to enlist some of the other kids as workers at one point. I guess this is a good point to talk about what I wanted to talk about earlier. So you mentioned that like DW in many ways, seems a lot older, like, in in wise beyond her years. There are points throughout this where we see the kids, the other kids, going throughout, you know, typical preschool activities. So, snack time, nap time, they do a lesson outside, and it's so funny to contrast DW and even Emily, like, the way they speak with the way the other kids, like, go about their lives. Like, the the... You know, they do a lesson outside, which DW and Emily don't want to stop building their their palasal and uh, kind of try to get back in at various points. And the kids outside are like doing I, I forget if it was like ABCs or like like let's just say they're doing ABCs. So they're doing like the A, B, C, D. And meanwhile, DW is like, as you, as you said, she's like become a contractor. So she's like <laughs> she she's just like you've put us. You've put us an hour behind schedule, James, and it's just like some of these kids can barely like get their hand, get their brains around like basic, the basic alphabet. And DW's mm. over here like giving, uh, you know, Glengarry Glen Ross monologues by comparison. It's it's just really funny to see her like in her element with kids who are like nominally her age, but as I've said before, like my six year old niece has a bit more trouble with the English language than DW does speaking it. So wise beyond her years, as we always say. Well, and and even more so because this I was really happy to. I feel like at this point when I was watching the episode, it was maybe losing a little bit of steam. I was like, okay, they're building this castle. And then we get this whole scheme that DW concocts in order to steal the blocks from third grade. And I was like, ooh, I love a good ruse. I love a good, like, heist. And, yeah, they uh, the teacher's the mark. Uh, they get Emily <laughs> to fake a, an injury on the job site. She says a block like hurt her ankle, and this is how DW steals the third grade block. And she does so with like a wagon. She gives like the thumbs up when she comes back with them, and she's she's even like they're like justifying themselves of like ah the the, the three year olds aren't going to miss a couple blocks here and there. Um, she, there's there's also another point. Great DW line here where they're. I th- they're, I think it's when they're coming back in from outside and they're doing the lesson outside. And Emily's like, are you sure we're okay to do this? And DW's like, don't worry. They teach you all that stuff again in kindergarten. <laughs> so like, hemor- like hemorrhaging their learning and education in preschool uh, to just get more building done. And they're taking it incredibly seriously. Um, as, and as we said, the Tibbles become the security guards who are basically working for snacks, especially raisins. Like one of them says there'd better be raisins tomorrow. And it's just like <laughs> as if as if you couldn't like be more opposed to the Tibbles. They are raisins fans. I'm just like Ugh. near the end of the episode, even, you know, they're working outside and they're kind of they're drawing up blueprints for the Palasal. And like uh, what's um what's the little girl's name who played tree number one? Uh, she shows up again. Um, oh, Amanda. Amanda. Amanda shows my, up again. My, my throwaway character of the week, unless hopefully Amanda shows up again. I, I really did get a hearty laugh out of the smash cut to who's trio number one and Amanda just hopping and clapping. Um, Amanda, who we've seen a lot in DW's class, but we've never heard her name before. Uh, so Amanda comes up and tags Emily, like tag you're it. And Emily goes, tag? Do you look? Do we look like we have time for Tag? 
Just like <laughs> done being children. It's all about the work. It's all about the work. I, I kind of thought that this was going the route of like they would eventually disagree on what they want to do with the Palasal. Like they'll have different plans. But they're actually pretty simpatico the whole way. They're just running themselves ragged. Like they they allow themselves to in, to take a nap during nap time. And they have a dream that the Palasal comes crumbling down. And it's, you know, they're kind of operating without sleep or it's just it's occupying every moment of their of their existence and the final part comes when the kids are visited by a guy who I'm guessing is from the the zoo named Captain Campbell and he brings it he's kind of dressed like a not crocodile Dundee but he's kind of dressed like an outback kind of guy and he has with him Ringo the koala <laughs> which okay this just seems this doesn't happen, right? Like I've heard of the lizard guy sure, coming to yeah. someone's high school. But like I think a koalas are endangered. Um I also don't think like they're I mean maybe they might have them at zoos, but I think they're almost all living in Australia. There's no like guy bringing koalas to American New England high school American New England preschools, right? Like this just doesn't <laughs> happen. I don't know. Also, I gotta say, I gotta say it. Ameri- uh, animal hierarchy, animal hierarchy. Of course. Um, maybe why is this koala less intelligent than the rest of these animals? We gotta say it. Maybe but. one of our listeners will have had an experience. If you, if a koala was brought to your American preschool, please let us know. It's I, it's an experience that neither Lucas nor I have had. So it, it it's it, you know they kind of are going back and forth on like, well, they really want to go pet the koala, but they can't stop. They're almost done. And then just through sheer accident not on both their parts, like like Emily's like, I'm starting to break DW. Like her resolve is straining because it's just too much to keep up. And then through complete accident, the Palasal gets knocked down completely. And DW and Emily take a second to think about it. And they're completely relieved and even more happy. So they go over and pet the koala. And yes, they have to clean up the blocks, but they're finally free of this horrible task that they've put on themselves. So, uh, yeah, it didn't quite, yeah, it didn't quite go where I thought it would in the end. But we did get to see uh, that get, see them pet Ringo the koala. So the D double dose here. Uh, let's go back to the first DW story, Lucas. All about DW. Um, what did you think of this one? All about DW. I uh, I don't. It, it's it's a very straightforward DW episode. Um, like she wants to have Emily's spot in the play, and she kind of learns the lesson that you know she shouldn't covet Emily's spot. She should be supportive of Emily, and then everything kind of just ends up working out to, for her via happenstance, and they work together. So really, really straightforward. No zigs or zags. Um, but it's still enjoyable. Like DW is well written. The jokes are funny. The jokes land. It's a funny episode. The negative thing I'll say is I, I alluded to this earlier. Um, I find that, yeah, in the second dream sequence where it's supposed to be kind of this, like, unsettling, like, scary dream sequence. The one where you see the Tibble's face, which is, I actually kind of like that part. But besides that, like, I feel like in older Arthur episodes in the pre-Flash era, um, that's when they would really play around with crazy angles and weird like fisheye vision and kind of gothic imagery and stuff like that um and in this dream sequence it just kind of foots like looks like they put like alt costumes on all the models they had and everybody's kind of moving in that static kind of puppety way they always do in the flash show so i was like oh that that kind of made me uh long for days past of like oh i i really appreciate just kind of how impressionistic uh arthur dream sequences used to be but that one nitpick aside, um, I don't know. I think fairly inoffensive episode. Not the most memorable, but ne- definitely not bad. What about you, Will? I, I, I see where you're coming from. I think I come out on this a little bit more positive than you do, and I think that's just due to the fact that I thought that there were a lot of really good lines in here. And this is something mm-hmm. that uh, one of our uh, one or two of our patrons brought up in the Discord recently. That's another perk you get from uh, being on our Patreon. It's getting in our Discord. Was that, you know, it's... You know, the change in animation is one thing, but as long as the writing is there, then, it, you know, you can kind of get over that stuff. And I think we're both still in the process of getting of 
capital G getting capital U used to the new animation style. But yeah, this was um, the, the the DW writing, especially for her, was like as good as ever. And I really enjoyed those parts. And there were like a couple of interesting um, visual tricks or at least kind of visuals in general to both of these stories that I thought worked quite well. And like, I'm just thinking of like, there's not a whole lot off the top of my head that I can think of. I'm sure it's been used before, but like the Dutch angle in the kitchen, like really made me notice it because it's just not something you get from Arthur all the time. And you didn't strictly need it there, but it also made it a lot more memorable and did fit as well. And yeah, so I, I thought this was, I thought this was all right. I'm, I'm kind of more on the, the thumbs up side of it just because it made me laugh quite a bit. I thought that Blockheads, I kind of thought I had this all figured out. Like I, I, I kind of, I looked at it and as soon as I figured out like, oh yeah, they're making this like block tower. I figured it was going to be another one where DW and Emily are on the outs because they disagree and then, you know, something happens and like maybe they make two different castles and they sabotage it. And they try to, I should say, they try to sabotage each other's castles, but it didn't. Like, it it, it kind of did something different, and I liked it more for that. Like, I, I kind of, I got into this a little bit, and especially because I didn't know how it was going to end. Where it's like this mutual obsession that DW and Emily have, and it, they're not, by the end, they're not completely agreeing with each other. They're still, like, figuring out what they want to do, but the project is still all-encompassing. And it's an interesting contrast because as i said with uh, all about dw you know it has a fairly obvious message it's trying to impart and the episodes with dw as the main character i've you know i think we felt are more for younger kids and this one i can't really parse the message and the message it the message that i'm oh, ge- oh. The, the message i'm getting is actually a bit more mature than i was kind of expecting because it's like you got to know when you're getting too deep into something and it's not fun anymore. You know what I mean? Like it's not, it's, it's different than like, you should be like, you should be considerate of your friend's feelings and you should, you know, do one to others and all that kind of thing. This is more like, Hey, don't let this great idea that you have completely eat you alive and hemorrhage the rest of your life essentially. (laughs) So I thought that was really interesting. I thought that they put some neat spins on it. Like I've, the heist, like you talked about, I loved that part. Um, some good DW lines. I actually thought this was a pretty good use of Emily as well. Like, we're very, very early into this season, but this is this is one of my favorites so far just because of how unexpected it was and how it was, like, it, it just did something that I, that was a little, that's a little bit different than how I expected this to be tackled. And I think I'm going to remember it for for that. Yeah, I uh, I had a very similar feelings about Blockheads. It surprised me uh, in kind of a different way, but but kind of same trajectory. Where I first three quarters of this episode, I thought I had it all figured out, um, you know, and it's kind of escalating there, then becoming obsessed with building this block structure, um, and then. I kind of had a different reading and interpretation of the ending, though I do think you're right that it's about you know quitting while you're ahead, or or knowing when you're becoming too obsessive over something and it's kind of impacting the other things in your life. But I also think there's a little bit of like a Buddhist mindfulness message here Ooh. in that they put all of this effort into the blockhouse. And then it crumples and they just kind of move on. And it's, you know, life is like that will. It's we're a part of nature and to be in nature is a cycle of life and rebirth and death and rebirth. And if we hold on to these things, it's the cause of unhappiness to try and cling on to something. And uh, DW and Emily's block sculptures reminded me of the Tibetan monks' sand medallas that they build, where they spend months constructing these ornate um, kind of uh, sand uh, um, sculptures, for lack of a better term. And then they let them blow away into the wind because it's a metaphor for how life is supposed to be. And you see, in a way, kind of DW and Emily just let their sculpture uh, they let their their castle crumble 
Um, they're now free of the responsibility of maintaining it, and then they move on to go pet the koala. So I actually, for an episode that up until that point I was like, oh, this is pretty middle of the road, nothing spectacular, uh, I did really like the ending and conclusion because um, I, I found it came out of left field, and like you said, you're right. It, it, it feels uh, like it's punching above its weight class for a episode about preschoolers. That's quite spiritual. I didn't. I could never have anticipated that you would get something like that out of it. But I'm pleased, and I'm I'm glad that we both seemed to take something from this that neither of us really, really expected. Uh, and now it's like that's a whole other way to rewatch this episode with that in mind. That's a really, that's a really cool way of looking at it. I'm glad that you shared that. So yeah, um, I guess as always, I'm very pleasantly surprised. I'm 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 pleased. When Arthur can still surprise us in in ways we can't anticipate. So there you go. That's our D double episode uh, right there. As we continue on through Arthur season sixteen. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Elwood City Limits. Um, of course, we will have a new episode uh, coming out. Uh, well, we're actually going to be taking a different route. As we get to the end of February, it's time for our next side series episode, and it's going to be for the kids of PBS Kids Podcast. Now, I will say once again, ECL patrons, there is a link on the Patreon page where you can submit your suggestions for PBS Kids shows that we haven't watched yet. Um, and there's, it's like a suggestion box. It's a link to a suggestion box. So please leave your suggestions along with any episodes that you particularly want us to, to tackle. Of the suggestions that we've gotten so far, um, I'm going to go with one that I was considering for the initial run of For the Kids, and we didn't end up getting to it. It was one of those ones that kind of like, when we were getting down to the last 10, it was like one of the last cuts I ended up making. And I'm glad that somebody suggested it, because we're going to be looking at Xavier Riddle and the Secret Museum. So, I have a... I have kind of a bare idea of what this is. A lot of the suggestions that we got are shows, some of them I've never even heard of before. So this is one where I have heard the name. I kind of understand what the idea is behind it, but otherwise not sure what to expect. So we're going to be doing the full uh, For the Kids treatment. We're going to be doing the history section. We're going to be looking at uh, episodes, or I should say an episode, and we'll be talking about it for the next episode of For the Kids, which will be coming out for patrons next week. Uh, or I should say the week after this one. Uh, it's hard to keep track of sometimes with the calendar. So that's what's coming up next. Uh, if you are on the free feed, you will be seeing a preview of that. And if you would like the full thing, you can subscribe and pay what you want at patreon.com slash Limits. If you're waiting for the next Elwood City Limits episode, however, it will not be too long. And the next one we're going to take a look at is Get Smart and Baby Steps. So uh, does that mean dog and baby episodes? Not sure. Uh, we'll have to wait and see. Or, or, or does it mean the cone of silence? We'll have to see. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, that's what we have coming up next. Uh, Lucas, y you have a bit more of a, thankfully we both have like differences, different kind of work from home situations, but, uh, take care in dealing with the snow, however you have to, and I will do the same. And, uh, if you, and yeah, if you, if you are getting any snow where you are, um, or inclement weather, please be safe and, uh, make sure to, uh, you know, take safety precautions, download this podcast episodes whenever you need it, and uh, yeah, just make sure to plan ahead as always. Aside from that, that's it for Elwood City Limits this week. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Will Young, and for Lucas Mancini... How can we get any work done if they keep sending us out to play? We'll see you next time. <laughs>